with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. On today's show, Chinese President Xi Jinping has called on Shanghai to deepen reform and opening up. And we will also take a look at how Chinese car makers manage to get ahead in the EV era. And now let's begin with our top story. Chinese President Xi Jinping says Shanghai should deepen reform and opening up and enhance its development momentum and competitiveness. He made the remarks during the inspection tour in Shanghai from the late November to early December. CGTN's Wang Haiyang has the details. As China's financial hub, Shanghai is a gateway to the world and an important center of trade and finance. During his inspection tour, Chinese President Xi Jinping urged Shanghai to focus on the construction of international centers of economy, finance, trade, shipping, and science and technological innovation. President Xi visited the Shanghai Futures Exchange. He urged the exchange to speed up efforts to achieve world-class status. And he called on the organization to play a broader role in the nation's futures regulatory system to establish an international financial center. The Shanghai Futures Exchange has attracted more than 2 million investors and enterprises from all over the world. In 2022, the annual turnover was more than 180 trillion yuan, around 25.2 trillion US dollars. While visiting an exhibition in Zhangjiang Science City in Pudong, New Area, the president said Shanghai should take the lead in becoming a globally influential center for sci-tech innovation. Shanghai's expenditure on research and development is expected to account for around 4.5% of the city's GDP by 2025. It also aims to host more than 26,000 high-tech enterprises and about 560 foreign-founded research and development centers by 2025. President Xi also heard work reports from party and government officials. During their meeting, he underlined the need for Shanghai to improve the city's core competitiveness, make breakthroughs in core technologies in key fields, and boost the transformation of its traditional industries. He said more efforts should be made to promote high-level financial opening up to better serve the real economy, set tech innovation, and the joint development of the Belt and Road Initiative. President Xi also said Shanghai should implement a strategy of upgrading its pilot free trade zone in full, promote the development of the International Trade Center, and enhance its capacity of global allocation of shipping resources. And that was Wang Haiyang reporting. For more on this, join us on the line now are Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Villamat University, and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank, China. So Dr. Zhou, I will start with you. During his inspection tour, President Xi urged Shanghai to focus on the construction of international centers of economy finance, trade, shipping, and science and technological innovation. So how do you interpret the emphasis on the five centers? 
we know that from the theory of the growth pool that when we're talking about a large area, there must be some cities that are really good at making the very important centers. And Shanghai is very developed compared with many other regions in China. They have accumulated many resources and a lot of enterprises are already there. So I think that the requirements is requiring both the central government and the local government trying to cooperate to identify the most important challenges that we are facing by China. So actually for you know these five centers, I would say that China has many advantages. And this advantage has made it a very suitable place to try to establish the five centers. I don't think that the five centers are already there. Maybe we are still in the process to trying to make it better to accumulate different resources and trying to make it a kind of a very important, you know, the place to have some better development and trying to do some innovative ways of doing that. Mm. So in this regard, I think it's a really quite clear and important requirements by President Xi, and it's definitely well giving a lot of directions to the development of Shanghai. Mm, so then, so you are based in Shanghai. So what do you make of Shanghai's role as a global financial center? Could you tell us more about its financial service sector's development uh, uh, in the past few years? And finances in China has been a pillar industry for the past 20 years. And at this point, finance is about 20% of Shanghai's total GDP, and that is the highest of all the Chinese provinces. Uh, and we have seen there's actually increasing interest for even smaller VCs and PEs to have a presence in Shanghai. Uh, we already know that half of the foreign banks and the foreign insurance companies will set up their headquarters in Shanghai. This is not just to say that Shanghai has a deep talent pool in finance, but also as the forefront of op opening up uh, for China. Shanghai's specialized status when it comes to its capital inflow outflow management and R&D internationalization, uh, it has starting to gain Shanghai more edge than before. Mm. So, Yan, so what do you think about uh, Shanghai's futures exchange? How significant does that hold in China's financial goals and also the international competitiveness? Right, the futures markets are very important. And in Shanghai's futures exchange, um, there are two major um, exchanges. One is for the metal, which was well established uh, since 1992, so it had a long history. Um, and then the other one is the energy uh, exchanges. So these are very important because, um, you know, this is one of the the integrated you know, sort of financial services and the trading system that uh, Shanghai has to offer. And so um, China is, you know, competitive. It's actually the top three trading hubs in the world for gold uh, at the spot and also for crude oil futures. Um, so going forward, I think, you know, China will continue to establish uh, you know, and, and strengthen and develop these future exchange markets. Um, one of the most recent, I think, moves is to establish uh, overseas warehousing um, for some, uh, you know, metals and commodities. And so because if you wanted to, you know, develop further the, the exchanges, uh, you would need to provide more liquidity and you would need to hold more commodities or metals for that matter. So I think all of these showcase that, you know, China is continue to make progress um, in futures markets, among uh, many other, you know, financial instruments. Um, and I agree with Wang Dan. I think, you know, Shanghai really holds a very significant spot in terms of, you know, financial transactions. The total volume of transaction last year um, reached 2,900 um, trillion yuan, uh, which is close to a 17% growth uh, year on year. So as, um, 
you know, as we know, this financial services are essential and it will continue to grow. Um, and as President Xi talked about, the importance of finance is to support a real economy, um, to uh, support, to, to promote science technological development, and also to improve the coordinations of BRI projects and, you know, other sort of uh, international uh, projects. Mm. And his visit also included a tour of the Zhangjiang Science City, emphasizing the need to accelerate the global impact in tech innovation. So we know that Shanghai's expenditure on R&D is expected to account for 4.5% of the city's GDP by the year 2025. So then how do you see Shanghai's science and tech innovation capacity? Uh, Shanghai has actually a very deep talent pool for technology, especially in biotech and industrial design. And in recent years, we have seen this flooding of more of those international and domestic talents in relevant areas into Shanghai because of its unique status in EV production supply chain, as well as the pharmaceutical industry. So I think the fact that Shanghai has this new status at the innovation center will give it more of a right description for where it is now. Because it used to be this uh, city that really was concentrating on finance. But now leveraging on its manufacturing status, actually Shanghai's innovation capacity began to show more prominence. Mm. And so Dr. Zhou, so talking about the Yangtze River Delta, what are the key message from the speech delivered by President Xi on advancing the integrated development of the Yangtze River Delta? Yeah, I think that for China, it's a really time for us to discuss about some of the more integrated developments. It's not only because some of the cities are already there, we are trying to think about this problem for more wider areas like the regional cooperation. In some part of China, maybe they are less developed, but in the Yangtze River, there are so many uh, you know, competitive industries and sectors, like in Shanghai, they have service sectors, financial sectors, and also in Jiangsu, like they have advanced manufacturing. So how can we try to find out the foremost, uh, I mean, the areas for the development is not only based on a certain city. We should try to have better integrated ways of thinking about these problems and trying to help them to do that kind of experiment in a more efficient way and sustainable way. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Dr. Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Vietnamet University, and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. And after a short break, we'll take a look at China's EV industry development. Stay with us. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. A recent report by a German research institute shows that uh, Chinese car makers sold 3.4 million vehicles overseas in the first nine months of this year. And this is more than Japan and also more than Germany. Of the 3.4 million units, the electric vehicles accounted for 26%. China surpassed Germany in auto exports in the year 2022 and is expected to 
surpass Japan to become the world's largest auto exporter this year. So join us in the studio is also our reporter Li Yunqi. So then, first of all, I will start with you. China is on track to become the world's largest auto exporter this year. So what do you think are the main factors behind this, and what proportion of China's cars are EVs right now? Um, the main driver for China being、um, this EV giant is by export. Uh, the policy support in the past decade has been quite substantial.、Uh, the EV producers has received tons of subsidies when it comes to R and D, and when it comes to acquiring the right kind of land and financing to develop the EV industry. And this year, we have seen a significant rise of EV export.、Uh, in the first ten months of 2023,、uh, China's EV export actually increased by 81 percent, comparing to other categories in China's manufactured goods. On、uh, this is magnitude bigger. And for China's every new car sold domestically, more than、uh, more than fifty percent of the consumers would choose the EV for various reasons. One big reason is how cost-effective those EVs are, especially Chinese brands.、Uh, it's practically free when you operate it.、Uh, the electricity is so cheap, and for a lot of places, the parkings are dedicated to EVs, but not for traditional engine cars. And going forward,、uh, I I can see that more road would accommodate EV better with charging pools, and that means more cars sold in the coming years will also be dominated by EVs.、Mm. So Yunqi, so how did Chinese car makers manage to get ahead in the EV era? There, there's a whole range of factors behind the progress, such as、uh, consistent focus on in the in the industry for over a decade. A strong lead in the key battery technologies, government-led investment to boost the charging infrastructure around the country, but I think on top of all these technical factors, there is a much simpler, straightforward answer to start with: is that electric car makers in China they didn't have the oil tycoons and the traditional internal combustion technology to hold back this progress. And there was an American documentary film in 2006 called、uh, "Who Killed the Electric Car." Which was primarily about the creation and destruction of the General Motors EV1, along with a series of other electric cars in the 1990s. So basically, the California Air Resources Board passed the zero emissions vehicle mandate in the 1990, but had to reverse this mandate because of the relentless pressure and suits from automobile manufacturers and the oil industry. And if you look at if you look at China. The oil companies in China—they are mostly、uh, state-owned—and the fossil fuel cars—they made very little prog- pro- progress in the internal combustion era, and so they didn't have much to lose to skip the traditional cars and to s- jump right into the electric vehicle era. But of course, this is just a very simplified answer. On top of that, there's also the consistent focus. They've Quick boosting of、uh, charging infrastructure and also the development in the battery technologies.、Mm-hmm. So yeah, so is there a consensus among the international community to boost the EV industry? Do you think? Right, I think that is the trend, and that is important,、um, you know, for countries to adopt EV、um, to make this, you know, transition. 
um, although there are a lot of you know barriers, um, I think I agree with what um, um, the reporter has talked about, which is you know when many countries have already had a long history of internal combustion uh, engine cars, it's somewhat difficult for them to make a transition. Uh, not to mention with all the protectionism uh, approach that many countries are now adopting, they're trying to you know shut China's cars out uh, out of their door, and I think that would in some ways delay um, their transitions. As we know that you know the United States and the EU, especially EU, um, they have set up quite ambitious goals of making the transition. And yet at the same time, um, they're adopting these uh, uh, protectionist approach, um, you know, for example, the anti-subsidy uh, probe uh, into China's EV industries. I think those would be very counterproductive. And I agree, I don't think, you know, the reason that the Chinese EV industry is booming is solely because the government subsidies and, you know, all these so-called distortive policies. Um, I do think that, you know, the Chinese government has the strategic vision and the goals um, to promote the industries from, you know, financing the uh, public charging stations. You know, China has 1.8 million charging stations vis-a-vis -vis the U.S., only 138,000. So I think all of these um, are important factors um, and also the Chinese government's uh, vision of, you know, utilizing development banks to uh, develop, you know, mining and uh, processing very critical minerals abroad to find to to be able to support the battery industries, for example. I think all of these are very important, um, not to mention also the entrepreneurial spirit, right, that um, there were um, 500 different car makers um, now is consolidated and the stir competition has made these entrepreneurs very innovative. Um, just last year, there were 107 different models of EVs in China. So um, I think this just means how competitive the Chinese markets, uh, the Chinese industry is. And I think that would really help not only for China's EV transition, but also, you know, for the rest of the world. Um, just wanted to mention one last point, um, you know, the BYD's Seagull hatchback um, that was just launched in Australia. It sold, um, you know, for 10,000 uh, units in just 24 hours. Um, because it has a good range, it has cheap price point, um, it's very welcomed uh, without, you know, all these uh, trade restrictions. So I think it's important for countries to cooperate to accelerate the EV adoptions. Mm -hmm. So then the Chinese consumer seems to have shown increasing interest in the new energy vehicles. So why is that? Are they more interested in the new energy cars or more interested in smart cars? Uh, I think it depends on who we're talking to. For people that need the car for work, then they're more co cost conscious. Then the focus is usually on the en new energy vehicles um, because the electricity price is so much lower than the oil price. And for taxi drivers, for example, um, it's a real benefit for them to operate an EV rather than a traditional fuel engine car. But if we're talking to a typical Chinese family, especially the family with more than one child, then for them, a smart car, uh, not necessarily an EV, could be more beneficial. They might need more entertainment for the family, especially for the kids, when someone's driving. And they also would like the car to be a more accommodative when it comes to providing information, uh, different type of driving assistance. So Chinese consumers are getting more sophisticated over time. And for the EV makers, this is more opportunities. Mm. So Yunqi, so how much greenness do you think are EVs? 
there are many studies into the environmental benefits of electric vehicles, and um, the short answer is definitely yes. But uh, in terms of the specific numbers, I've seen a report from Deloitte that says the uh, percentage of fewer of of less carbon emissions could be between twenty five percent to forty five percent, and there's another study that says between eighteen percent to forty two percent. And I think these numbers give you like a rough sense of how much greener electric vehicles can be, and the difference for this range of differences is because. Apart from car designs and battery models, um, the electric cars they can only be as green as the electricity supply. And in regions that are still heavily reliant on coal-fired power plant, the environmental benefits of EVs will be much lower than they are supposed to be. And that's why these years we are seeing more electric cars and becoming aware of the benefits of them. It's because. Uh, at the same time, the clean energy solutions they're also developing and deploying at the same time, like solar panels, wind turbines. Our electricity mix is getting more is getting greener compared to the traditional fossil fuel models.、Mm. So then, let's talk about the industry. Actually, could you give us a general picture of China's EV industry? Because we have to mention the technologies and products in the upstream, midstream, and downstream of this industry, right? There. There is an estimation saying, you know, Chinese enterprises'、uh, dominance in production car batteries led by CATL, led by BYD, means China will likely account for more than two thirds of the global battery production by the year 2030. So, how realistic is it? Actually, I think、uh, China probably will do better when it comes to the battery production. Um, because we have compared the different type of batteries when it comes to、uh, the EV,、uh, specifically for the EV cars,、um, Chinese producers are able to regenerate or、uh, upgrade technology much faster than their European and American counterparts. On、um, Tesla, has so far been quite competitive when it comes to the new tech,、um, but. When we are talking about battery production, it's a whole different picture. It will very likely to be the solar industry situation、uh, if、uh, we don't face more pushback from the European、uh, governments or the European car producers. Then by 2030, I think China might actually take more than 90% of the global production,、uh, just simply due to the cost advantage. And so, yeah, and the Chinese EV makers are going to Southeast Asian countries and other markets to set up plants. So, why did they do so? And how do you see the trend? How do they benefit themselves and also the local economy? Right. So, I think there are two major purposes of、um, investing heavily in Southeast Asia. Um, for one reason is because these are the markets where、um, we're seeing really rapid growth of demand for Chinese EVs. So it's a great strategy to you know build in those countries and sell into those markets, right? For one, you can save on transportation costs, right? Because these vehicles are heavy and they are going to be costly for the shipment and for the transportation costs. And at the same time,、um, if you build in those markets, you will be able to know the market trends better. You'll be able to cater for the local demands of local preferences. So it's a great strategy to go into those countries to build for those local markets. And the second reason, of course, is because all these strategies of de-risking. 
um, the so-called French shoring, near shoring by the United States and uh, European countries. Um, they are adopting various, um, you know, policies to counter, you know, the Chinese EVs. So I think one strategy China is working on is to diversify their own supply chains. So set up factories in Southeast Asia and also in Mexico um, and other countries in order to evade some of these uh, regulations and trade restrictions. So, Dr. Zhou, how do you see this trend? I think that in my understanding that uh, if we are trying to talk about the EVs, it should depends on the, you know, the related industries like those of the manufacturing, some of the the other infrastructures. I would say that it is a system ways for us to think about that. Maybe in some certain areas like in China and uh, the surrounding countries in the Belt and Road regions, we may try to give some examples, good examples for the interconnectivities between different countries. Well, in other countries, maybe they should try to develop some of their own specific ways. But in this re- regard, I would say that EV is not only just a, a way of the transportation, it represents some of the solutions that we can deal with the logistics because it's not only about the consumers, it's also about the commercial logistics. So we have to take it carefully to try to make it a better system instead of just doing something good, start from the good, but end it with some bad consequence. Mm. So Yinqi, so do you think there is a consensus among the international community to boost the EV industry? Uh, one clear consensus is to phase out of traditional fossil fuel cars for sure. And if, you, if, if we look at the details of the policies around the world, and like Dr. Joe said, there's a clear focus. Like a lot of country policymakers, they've realized that we've already had enough support for the light-duty vehicles, like the passenger cars. And in many countries, the amount, the scale of subsidies that into passenger cars, they have either already phased out or on the way to phasing out. And they are transitioning the support, the policy support and the subsidies towards heavy-duty vehicles like trucks and buses, taxis in the public, in the public transport system. And uh, apart from the heavy-duty vehicles, the policies also just, uh, shifting towards uh, supply equipment like charging stations. And China actually has a very obvious lead in some of these areas because before China moved on its subsidy programs to passenger cars, actually China started piloting these uh, electric electrification technology on buses and taxis. So China started from um, the public transport system and uh, the charging stations, like one of our speakers um, brought up earlier, there's 1.8 million charging stations in China, far above any other countries in the world. And the details of these charging stations, about 1 million slow charging stations and 700,000 fast charging stations, that's the top one, far more than any other countries in the world. So a lot of these areas that China already has a lot of experiences that can share with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Yunqi. And also thank you, Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University, and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank, China. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Listening.